With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now we just got to wait for Drew to get on. Hello. Ah. Ah, hold on. This time pee before you go on the podcast. Hold on. Head in that direction right now. Oh, Go piss off. Pass to the end zone. Touchdown. Isaac Zito. Zico had that big catch on the opening play of this drive. Now has a touchdown catch. A reverse. Double pass to Rondell Moore. Moore went backwards, now forwards. Now the end zone. Touchdown. Look at the superior skill level of this young man, Rondell Moore. Just speed. He bubbles all the way around, and Roundtree has no chance to catch the human joystick. Third and goal. They get the playoff. Horvath. He's in there. Horvath is in there for the touchdown. Horvath making Mike Allstop proud. Boilermakers, they proved, they moved to three and three on the season, two and one in conference play, their third consecutive win in this matchup, in this battle for the cannon. While the Illini fall to three and three and one and two in conference play. Purdue is gonna even the all-time series at 44, 44 and six. Welcome, welcome to Hammer and Ales, our football podcast. We are back after the bye week last week. We were unable to record Sunday night because Juan was in the Mile High City visiting relations, if you will. And no. (laughs) No. No. What is is wrong with you? So I'm the adult here somehow, and I'm the youngest person in this podcast. Uh, anyway, so we are back, and we are recording on Monday night here. It is two days after Purdue has resecured the cannon, and for the first time in 113 years, has tied the all-time series with Illinois at 44, 44, and six. Uh, with us is Juan from Pasadena, back. From Colorado, how you doing tonight, Juan? Not too bad. Although the, uh, you know, I've always heard about the Santa Ana winds and how, you know, they bring really dry air. And I thought, oh, you know, it's a little breeze. doing. Well, they kicked in this morning and nearly actually blew off uh, part of the roof of my apartment building today. So that's how it's going. (laughs) Wow. Well, that's part of your continuing education, Dr. Juan, I guess. In a way, yes. Just, you know, making the in-situ observations. Yes. Uh, also with us, as usual, is Drew, hanging out in Manhattan, Kansas. How are you doing, Drew? I'm having weather issues as well. It uh, it snowed last night, and, uh, and, our air, and our heater did not work. Uh, so I turned, went into the thermostat and turned heat, and the whole thing shorted out. So I've been slowly trying to warm myself all day. But uh, good news, heat's fixed now. Uh, that, that is always good news. And as I mentioned, we are discussing Purdue's win over Illinois on Saturday. Really, a game that we expected to win. I was a little bit concerned with how well Illinois had played against their uh, competition. They they came in at 3-2, and two, and the two losses, they were at least competitive for most of the game. But after giving up an early score... Purdue just absolutely beat the brakes off of them, especially offensively. And it was 
one of the most complete games I've seen us play in a very, very long time. I mean, in a way, it was a comeback victory. You know, Purdue was down 7 nothing, and they came <laughs> back in the first quarter and won. <laughs> we, we handled adversity, if you will. Uh, and I just, 46 straight points, and it was the highest point total of the Brahm era. Most points we've scored on a road game in 11 years. It, w- it was impressive. It was fun to watch. It was, it was actually almost kind of boring to watch under the, oh, huh, we scored again. Uh, I, w- I went over to Champaign for this one, and it's always a good little road trip because it's just not that far from Indy, and you can do it in an afternoon, almost like going to a home game at Purdue. And, and really, it's just uh, impressive to walk away like that. And uh, I think we discovered that Illinois just – they we made another team quit, which does not happen very often. Yeah, that that was probably obviously the most uh, total performance I would say this year for the team, as far as everything sort of working right. I guess that in, in the Boston College game for probably different reasons. Yeah, no, Illinois had been able to move the ball on people all year. Um, I watched a lot of their film and. Uh, I thought they were going to give us trouble with their running game, with their quarterback and their two running backs. And, uh, yeah, that just didn't happen. Um, the defense played probably their best game. And the offense, uh, obviously, is clicking on all cylinders right now. Yeah, that Illinois game surprised me. I thought we were going to win it, but I did not think we were going to blow them off the field. Uh, so that was, you know, kind of relieving to watch a Purdue game, kind of like I watch Clemson games, where I just sort of sit there and sip on a beer and eat some uh, chips and not worry about anything. One of the things that I noticed for Illinois is they were able to hit on a long pass there on their touchdown drive. I think they hit a 51-yard pass, and even the Champagne Room guys uh, noticed this on Twitter. After that, it's like, oh, well, we finally hit on a long pass. Well, now we're a passing team, and we can keep doing this. And they really couldn't. I mean, they were they were overthrowing receivers. They were throwing it into the turf. And just they couldn't get anything going offensively after that opening drive. And then just the way Purdue marched down the field, I think we needed eight plays to get 150 yards and two touchdowns in our next drive, two drives to take control of the game. And that that was just that was to me the most impressive part of the day was Purdue's offense just couldn't be stopped at all. And that doesn't happen very often. I mean, Illinois usually has a bit of a defense, but we were we made them we just turned them into nothing. Yeah, I also think you saw see just how much pressure Purdue's offense puts on the other team's offense. Um, I Illinois was throwing the ball because they knew they were going to have to score a lot of points to stay with us. I think it's hard for these run-only teams like uh, Illinois and Boston College, uh, who and who we've handled both handled fairly easily to stay on stay with their game plan um, when we're just running up and down the field on offense. Uh, I feel like that really, especially on those types of teams, which gives me slight hope against Wisconsin, also seeing as how their quarterback was complete garbage against Michigan. You know, I think that also helps is that our offense puts a lot of pressure on the other team's offense to go out and score to keep up with us because, I mean, as you saw against Nebraska, who is their run, a run-only team, just a couple stops and that's all it took. Just And those were just on penalties, but they couldn't, they ran all over us, but they couldn't do it enough to beat us. Uh, so I think I think you're going to have to throw the ball to beat Purdue, or you're going to have to run the ball very controlled and very slowly down the field and just not give Purdue any possessions. And we don't really have a more traditional Jeff Brom-style offense going yet. I know we've been over 40 points <sighs> in the last two games, but... Those are only the second and third time we've even gotten over 40 points. I'm looking at his Western Kentucky numbers here. And granted, uh, granted, who Western Kentucky played a year in, year out was much different than who Purdue plays year in, year out in the Big Ten. But they were regularly in the 50s uh, scoring-wise and even got into the 60s a couple of times. I'm seeing... You know, they had a 67-66 win over Marshall, 66-51 over Old Dominion. <laughs> Uh, 63-7 over Florida International. So, you know, the when he really got it going there at Western Kentucky, he was putting teams in the 50s 
just without even breaking a sweat. And I don't know if we can get to that level uh, because the Big Ten is obviously a lot harder than Conference USA, but we're certainly trending in that direction. Well, should also note that the defense at Western Kentucky was never really that good, too. So they needed to score, you know, 50 or some points because on the opposite end, the defense had given up 30, 40 some points. And we haven't really seen that except for maybe the Missouri game. I think so far. So maybe Purdue's just not getting up to the 40 and 50s because we just don't have to. And and yeah. our own defense is getting better. And you guys mentioned it. I was concerned about Illinois being able to run the football because they had a running quarterback uh, of the type that's given us some trouble. I know Thorson gave us some issues. Obviously, Martinez gave us some issues against Nebraska. But they just didn't have anything going on the ground. And uh, Bush had 20 carries for 24 yards. That's not going to get it done. I think you'll see Purdue's defense. It looks like our defense is pretty good, but we only have to do one thing. Uh, Like I said, against Boston College, where we were able to just, uh, we basically just stacked the box, stopped the run, played man-to-man coverage and pressure, and made their bad quarterback try to make throws to beat us, and he couldn't. Uh, we did the same thing basically against Nebraska. Didn't work quite as well because they spread us out a little bit more because their quarterback was at least a, somewhat of a threat to throw the ball. But then against Illinois, you saw us just totally shrink the field on them uh, and uh, challenge them and their quarterback to throw the ball. And, and they, he couldn't do it either. So I think that game plan uh, works really well against teams that don't have a quarterback. Not quite as useful when you challenge a team to throw the ball and they actually can throw it, uh, which is what happened to Missouri uh, and how they, you know, Missouri is a quarterback. They put a bunch of points on us. So I think stopping the run, I think we're probably a lot farther ahead than, uh, you know, the past, mainly because we still don't have a pass rush. And uh, speaking of teams that can throw it, um, I I know that that's a large factor. The last two weeks is Nebraska and Illinois are not good this year. Um, Nebraska, obviously, the only win this team in the conference. They've had some hard luck. Illinois, I think, can put it together against some pretty lowly rated teams. That's how they got their three wins. But, uh, man, they did not look good in any facet of the game on Saturday. And I think I do think that was a very, very large aspect of it is you could just kind of see them deflate. And they did a lot of beating themselves. We uh, the one of the big plays that kind of stood out to me was first drive of the second half. They had forced a three and out. And we're facing fourth and five. We're in punt formation and they jump off sides to keep the drive alive and hand us a first down. You're not going to get that very often, really. And uh, that's nothing that really Purdue did. I mean, it's not like we were trying to draw them off sides or anything. We were backed up on, I think, like our own 30 or something. And that's just a free first down. And we were able to turn it into seven points. And it was really over from there it it was mostly over at that point but that was really the turning point that just officially ended the game i think yeah i agree illinois was garbage and that was a terrible performance from them and uh they're paying lovey smith a lot to look like father christmas and i feel like that may be his only genuine contribution uh right now to illinois football it kind of reminded me uh seeing champagne room today it really reminded me of where Purdue was exactly three years ago. We were in the exact same spot facing Illinois. We were in the third year with Hazel. We were wondering if and when he was going to turn things around. We had a mediocre Illinois team come to ross for homecoming, no less, and they beat the brakes off of us. They made us look awful Whoa. in every facet of the game. Let, let's hold up there. You know, that Illinois team was coached by an interim head coach and was bad. Like Whereas at least like Purdue is... You know, probably better than that 2015 Illinois team. Let's not make that kind of comparison now. But yes, Lovey Smith sucks. And I'm saying that as a Packers fan, that Lovey Smith sucks. <laughs> well, I, I'm always going to give Lovey Smith credit because not only did he make a Super Bowl, he made a Super Bowl with Rex Grossman as his quarterback. And I'm, I'm talking like a real Super Bowl, not like one of the Paralympics type Super Bowls or whatever. I mean, we're a real live Super Bowl with Rex Grossman. I mean, that's the Indianapolis Colts should retire Rex Grossman's number. Oh yes, absolutely. Absolutely. He was the MVP of that game because he had a lot more to do with the Colts winning the Manning ever did. So it's like, I I think Lovey has 
you know, he takes a lot of flack. I don't think he's terrible, but I do think that he's behind the times and you, you, you kind of know by year three, if you've got a dead coach walking or not. And Illinois has a dead coach walking. Um, we at Purdue kind of, uh, we know our kind there. We suffered under Hazel. We see all the signs and seeing their, seeing their quotes and everything after this game. I'm like, yep, he's gone after next season. I don't know. What's his contract look like? I know they're paying him a ton of money. I think, what I think they he's had got hope- $12 million left on it that they have to pay him. I think their hope with Lovey was that he was, and he has done this. He's brought in a lot of big name uh, former players as coaches and re- uh, recruiters, but they're, I mean, Purdue's done the same thing to much better effect. Um, so I think the hope was Lovey was going to bring in his great coaching staff and, you know, got Rod Price, who I think was a former NFL player and, uh, their linebacker coach. I can't even remember his name. Uh, it was a former NFL player. They brought in like a lot of talent as far as, you know, guys that should be able to go out and recruit. They just can't put it together on the field. Um, even though, I mean, on paper, they probably were as talented as that Purdue team they were playing in terms of those recruiting rankings. So kudos to Jeff Brom there. Ron, okay. Ron Zook seems to be doing okay with uh, being the special teams coordinator up in Green Bay. So, you know, maybe they can just hire Zucker back. Oh, we need the Zucker back. That would be fantastic. I mean, and how bad would it be? I mean, they got to a Rose Bowl with him. I mean, sure, it was a gift Rose Bowl, but it's a Rose Bowl. No less. Illinois should definitely hire Pelini. I feel like that that would be the way to go. Or Danny Hope. <laughs> or, or I like Danny. Yeah. Danny's, a, Danny's a good Darryl guy. Hazel. I wouldn't wish that. I wouldn't wish that on him. They can hire Hazel. He's undefeated there. Uh, Hazel was 2-0 and in Champaign. He won more Big Ten games in Champaign than he won in West Lafayette. Guys, while we're talking about former coaches, I think we all just need to take a moment uh, and reflect on the removal of Brock's back's mustache. Uh, yes, that that was one I noticed yesterday on Twitter, and it was shocking to say the least. I mean, that was that was an iconic mustache. Yeah, I think we should all take a moment of silence for Brock's back's mustache. Thank you. All right. <laughs> so uh, moving on, and uh, speaking of mustaches and mustaches that dominated teams, we get Ohio State next. <laughs> Uh, he of Danny Hope, who was two and two against Ohio State, and came about a play away from going three and one against them. The uh, Buckeyes come to West Lafayette on Saturday, and we're hoping for another stunning upset where they are actually three and four in West Lafayette since 2000. And it's uh, it's going to be a tough game. It's obviously the hardest game of the year. You don't host the number two team in the nation and expect to automatically win. Uh, but there is actually some hope here. There, um, the Buckeyes are coming in with a pretty banged up defense. A defense that's already struggled against the pass. And Purdue is moving the ball very, very well through the air right now. So I think you've got some potential for a shootout. But man, their offense looks just absolutely unstoppable right now. Yeah, you know, it's the Ohio State Urban Meyer offense. He's going to run the read option, and then he's going to run the quick passing game. And then when you try to come up on that, he's going to throw it deep. I mean, it's not. there's no real secret or surprise to what Urban does anymore in, in that offense, what that offense looks like. It's a little different with Wilson calling the plays, but, you know, it's fairly predictable. They do what they do. They do it well with a lot of really good athletes. Um, yeah, Kev- Kevin Wilson isn't afraid to abuse the players on defense. That's oh. certainly that's certainly true, uh, Juan. That's uh, I always like. I love you, Juan. You really get in the best, just right jabs right in there. I appreciate that about you. So uh, we're looking at some of the numbers here. Uh, Ohio State best scoring offense in the conference. They are averaging forty six point three points per game. Purdue is actually third there at 33 and a half. So offensively, you're already giving up 13 extra points a game. Uh, defensively, Ohio State is third in the conference, only giving up 19 a game. Purdue has shown a lot of improvement. Obviously, giving up only seven to Illinois helps statistically, but we are now eighth in the conference at 23 points a game. So not too far behind them, at least points-wise. Total offense, these are the two best offensive teams in the league. Ohio State averaging 
557 yards a game, Purdue 510. Uh, both get it done through the air as well. You have Ohio State averaging 371 yards a game, best in the conference. Purdue is next at about 331. So you've really got a chance of two teams just going up and down the field here. And I, I think there's a potential there for another game kind of like Missouri where it just gets high scoring. But they are going to be a lot harder to stop than Missouri because um, Dwayne Haskins is just putting up absurd numbers right now. I haven't seen too many of the Ohio State games, but it, whenever I see the scores come in, it almost seems like in that first half, they're almost always whoever they're playing seems to play them close. And then they just completely obliterate them in the second half. So this is definitely a game that Purdue's going to have to be on 100% for all 60 minutes. And, you know, I want I hope that Purdue can do that. But at the same time, I have my doubts regarding that as well, because Ohio State's a very complete team. Well, uh, I do know that Minnesota was able to have some success last week against them. Uh, Minnesota's defense rates better than our own. We are at 414 yards a game. Minnesota's at 354. They kind of held it at check for three quarters, but they <laughs> they lacked their own offense to where they could have really put more of a scare in there. But I know their own offense struggles quite a bit. Uh, but Haskins himself. 2,331 yards, 28 touchdowns, only four interceptions, and eight. he's been sacked eight times, so a little more than one a game. I, I just don't see how we're going to contain him enough uh, to get this done because can, playing Illinois is one thing. Playing Ohio State in that offense is something completely different. Yeah, so the interesting thing about Haskins is that he mostly just throws it with – less 10 yards or less we've got to be able to where Ohio State makes most of their big plays is it because they throw the ball down the field as I'm looking they throw the ball only 30 percent of his passes go beyond 10 yards his incompletion percentage while it's pretty good down there he's really picking and choosing his spots and so most of that Ohio State offense is happening you know inside of 10 yards and his guys breaking tackles or, you know, him hitting him in stride and then turning it up the field and, and going and relying a lot on on those athletes. So one of the big things we're just going to have to do is, is tackle. Um, and so because that's the one thing that teams that make Ohio State uh, struggle on offense, they tackle well with that Urban Meyer sort of quick passing game. You can get to their wide receivers and their slants and their outs and tackle them when they catch the ball or prevent them from catching the ball, obviously. You can slow them down. Penn State slowed them down like that. Minnesota slowed them down uh, a little bit like that. I'm not quite as sold on the Ohio State offense. I think Urban uh, Urban Meyer's offense is, I mean, he's the godfather of this read option sort of play and he brought it in from from utah to florida to ohio state but i think as we saw last year um with maybe not quite as talented a quarterback it's it's gotten a little stale i think they brought wilson in to try to fix that but it's still sort of a low risk uh offense that good teams recently have been able to uh, adjust to and slow down so it'll be interesting to see if purdue Purdue's defense has improved enough to be considered good. I probably not uh, at this point. Uh, Can we borrow I, Clemson's defense? Yes, I mean Clemson definitely showed what that Urban Meyer offense looked like to the tune of I think thirty-six to nothing in the Fiesta Bowl. And I mean that's what they did. They tackled the Ohio State players when they caught the ball, um, and they didn't let them run the run the ball. So that's easier said than done, obviously, and not a lot of teams are successful in that. But I don't think Ohio State's offense is uh, the unstoppable force that maybe it looks like on paper because they've put they've put up some big stats on some bad teams. Well, I'm looking at something here. I was kind of surprised to see that. The running games are almost dead even. Uh, We are slightly behind them on rushing offense, about six yards a game behind them. Our run defense, surprisingly, is a little bit better than them. I mean, we're talking about a difference of about a yard there per game. And, you know, that can be, as you mentioned, you know, if 
you have an offense that primarily does one thing and it looks like Ohio State would prefer to pass the ball, maybe that does help our defense just a little bit in the long run. Yeah, especially since they really just want to pass the ball, you know, three or four or five yards at a time. We have gotten the one place I feel like we have become much better is in in our linebackers and our secondary of of tackling. So that's sort of our maybe one of our hopes there is that our linebackers and safeties and corners are able to get them on the ground uh, quickly instead of letting them sort of you know, catch it on the run and hit that seam. I think that's probably what you'll see. I'll be interested to see if we play a lot of a man or if we, we go to zone. I, uh, zone would probably make a lot of sense, except that it gives them more room to run after the catch, and since that's what really they want to do. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how Holt plays that, if he's going to do what he's done against say, Illinois and Boston College and just dared them to throw it on in against man coverage or if we're going to probably back off and be a little more conservative this game and, and make Ohio State try to drive it down the field. I do, uh, I do find it interesting, and you made a good point. Our linebackers have really come on. I've, I've been impressed with how much uh, Cornell Jones and Derek Barnes, uh, not only the way they started the year, but what, the improvement that they've shown here, I was unaware that Cornell Jones actually leads the Big Ten in tackles for loss. Cornell Jones is like a heat-seeking missile now. I am not. I have no idea. That's an amazing find by those Brom coaching staff because both Jones and Barnes were like recruiting afterthoughts, like two-star guys with like MAC offers, and uh, and or like you know Conference USA offers, and they've come in and really just played incredibly well this year as sophomores, I, I as true give, sophomores. I would give the credit to Holton them for coaching them up because you saw what they were able to do with is a Chuck Wu and McCollum and uh, Bentley last year. So, and of course, Bailey being Bailey, I mean, they're taking guys that it's a position that has struggled for us for years. And now for the second straight year, we have some of the best linebackers and most consistent linebackers in the Big Ten, and it's just, it's so nice, and that has been the key to improving Purdue's defense. Yeah, I think one of the big things is they look a lot better when they're attacking as opposed to, say, playing zone or backing up or trying to do some of the more more complicated things. I think Holt sort of adjusted his scheme to let those guys sort of go a little bit more, um, and and not make them do some of the more dropping in coverage. Uh, like Cornell Jones is really good when he's going forward. He's not super good going backwards or sideways. Same, it's kind of same thing with Derek Barnes. And they even move Barnes over to that hybrid position a good bit now and then slide over and play two linebackers with, with Bailey and Jones to try to improve the pass rush. So that's that's been sort of one of the adjustments we've made is I think letting sort of Barnes and Jones go and attack and be instinctive and not worry too much about uh, dropping in coverage or doing anything uh, more exotic than that. And that, that's true. And it's just so amazing to see how much that's improved us as a team. And then you've got some other young guys that I think have come along late. Uh Kenneth Major, he's actually among the Big Ten leaders now. He's got three interceptions on the season, and that's three interceptions in his first six collegiate games, which uh, that's one of the things that we have needed. We needed one of these freshman corners to come up and be an answer, and that's I think that's also been pretty big for us here in the last couple of weeks as we've gotten better is you know guys like Major, guys like uh, Diedrich Mackey coming through. We've had some good contributors on the defensive line, like Anthony Watts has had a couple of big plays and really it's just, I think that the defense has come together so much, especially since the Missouri game. It's really nice to see. Definitely. And it was, it was always going to be a defense that got better as the year went on because they were replacing so much in that front seven, you know, the start of the year. And these were guys that, you know, just never played college football before played very little and now they were out there in a you know, starring role. I think it, it took them a few games to sort of dial in and get used to just the speed and the strength. I think especially with the tackling, 
where we were really poor tackling against Northwestern. And I feel like that's improved significantly uh, as some of these younger guys have gotten uh, a little more accustomed to tackling uh, these other Division One athletes. I think, you know, it's, it's one thing to practice it or see it on film. It's another thing to actually do it in a game. So I think that is, that's one of the spots. And I will say, Major, I will say that two of those interceptions were, like, literally, like, catching a little pop-up. So, I mean, he's played great, and, uh, you know, he's made a big improvement. But, you know, two of those three interceptions, I know the one against Boston College and the one against Illinois were, like, I'm pretty sure I picked those off as well. I don't know about you, Travis, but I know Juan could do it. Oh, I, I'm deceptively athletic for an old man. But you know who couldn't do it? Casey. I would say that he would be the one one on our staff that would not pull it off. Oh, Man, Casey's, they, got, Casey's more of a basketball player. He's got the three-point game going. That's what he says. I, I don't think anybody believes that. <laughs> So I get I guess now that we're at the halfway point of the season and we've made the recovery to three and three, uh, we should ask the question, can we find three more wins and get into a bowl game? I mean, it's doable. It would require having to so we would have to at least win on the road at Minnesota and at Indiana. Um, that would that would actually be the first time in 75 years we've won four road games. So yeah, obviously like Minnesota and IU are the ones that we should ideally win. IU might be a toss up, um, just because they're probably going to give us some troubles with their offense, and they're probably also going to be looking for uh, to possibly be bowling again as well. So really, we would have to we would we have to we would have to beat a ranked team another one in order to get to a bowl game. So that would either be Ohio State, Michigan State, Iowa, or Wisconsin. Now, granted, MSU and or Wisconsin could drop out of the rankings between now and when Purdue plays them, but those are still not going to be easy calls or, yeah, easy games for Purdue at the moment. They're beatable teams, that's for sure. Like, they're, they don't look unstoppable like Ohio State does at the moment, but certainly we're going to need at least one more upset here. If uh, Purdue wants to get to that bowl game, yeah, I think uh, I think a bowl game. As I said after after we our zero and three start, I probably thought our chances of going bowl uh, to a bowl game were somewhere between twenty and thirty percent. But after this, uh, t- you know, this turnaround, I think uh, I think it's a fifty fifty proposition. That Indiana game is going to be huge at the end of the year. You know, all the games are going to be huge. Minnesota is a really good measuring stick for us because I, uh, you know, we were in competition for uh, that coach. I can't even remember his name anymore. He hasn't done very much there. Something about a boat. But, uh, you know, that was one of the, the guys that's an interesting sort of measuring stick for our program to see where Minnesota is two years in versus sort of where we are two years in. And then, uh, you know, Indiana with Allen, this is his uh, – what is this his first year or second year? Second year, right? Yeah, second year. That's his, you know, his second year in, um, and so uh, those are two really interesting sort of games we need to win, and interesting measuring sticks for the program. Uh, and then, yeah, I feel like we'll probably will knock off either Michigan, you know, from what I've seen, Michigan State, one of Mich- Michigan State, Wisconsin, or uh, Iowa. They're just I mean, that Wisconsin team is so one-dimensional. And, I, I, you know, the more I see it, the more I think that we have a really good shot against them, seeing as how we've done against two sort of very similar teams in Boston College and, uh, you know, even Illinois. Obviously, they, they do what they do better than Illinois. But um, we shut down that Boston College run, run attack, and that is one of the better – that's a very similar to what Wisconsin uh, does. I think Hornybrook's probably a little bit better than the Boston College quarterback, but uh, I would say that AJ Dillon is probably just as good, if not uh, better, than uh, Taylor. I think I like the Wisconsin game more and more. Just watching them struggle to do anything against Michigan, and it wasn't just because Michigan was playing like fights out defense like Hornybrook was legit terrible and the play calling was like run run incomplete pass punt 
And so I feel like we've done a good job of stopping the run against teams like that. So I like the Wisconsin out of the next next three. Lewerke's pretty good for Michigan State. Like I said, quarterbacks have sort of been our undoing. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Iowa's always hit and miss there. I was talking to a Kansas State uh, fan, and, you know, Kansas State isn't known for their uh, scintillating offense here recently. These are, you know, Wisconsin and Iowa are the two most boring teams in college football, and I tend to agree, and I think we'll do pretty well against either of those with our exciting offense. It seems so strange to feel positive about beating Wisconsin. Um, it's just weird because they're like they came in like looking like they had great uh, offensive defensive lines, and you know, had Iowa not screwed up at very key plays that led directly or indirectly to Wisconsin points, like Iowa would have easily beaten Wisconsin as well in that night game. And Wisconsin would be, yeah, they would only have like one Big Ten win at that point then, and that would just have been Nebraska. And that's why why I'm kind of like, all right, there's still an outside chance we could win the West. I mean, even if we get blown out by Ohio State, all we kind of need would be a couple of Northwestern losses, which is entirely possible. And we would control our destiny out in the West, which is so, so weird to see. And given how much Wisconsin has beaten us so much over the last 15 years or so, I mean, we haven't beaten them since 2003. They've won 12 in a row against us, which is the longest winning streak anyone has ever had against us. And I'm just, I'm still used to seeing those, oh, yep, they beat us like 56 to 10 or something. And to think like this can find, we can finally end the streak. I think that would be really cathartic for the program, just given the, the sheer dominance that they've had against us, because it hasn't been so much that they've beaten us 12 in a row. At least nine of those, they were by far far the better team and we just didn't even look like we belonged in the same field as them i will say this their loss to byu was their first non-conference home loss since 2003 and the last time purdue beat wisconsin was 2003 so knocking on wood history is repeating itself this year uh, that streaks I don't, from 2003 are ending that and it would feel just really weird to go to a bowl game by going two and five at home, <laughs> and, but you're you're looking at. I mean, we've got a legitimate shot of going five and zero oh on the road, and that that in and of itself is another strange oddity. And I don't think we've ever won five road games in a season. Let's do it. I don't care. Let's <laughs> do it. Let's. You know what? We've had enough teams come into Rossade and spoil home games for us that we should just return to favor now. It's oh, the revenge yeah. tour. Oh yeah, and. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be interesting on Saturday because, you know, I probably give us maybe a 10% chance to actually beat Ohio State. But, I mean, goodness. So you're saying there's a chance? Yeah, I mean, they're shaky against the pass. They've got a beat-up defense right now with guys playing hurt and some other guys out. Uh, they themselves have been concerned about facing passing teams, and they really haven't seen an offense like ours. I mean, And they've also... See- and they've sucked in Rossade this millennia. I mean, you could see, I, I think about the only way I see Purdue winning is, you know, probably like a 45-42 shootout where neither team can stop the other. Um, I'm not expecting Haskins to have his freshman game because he's he just hasn't shown like he's going to have one. I mean, he's only thrown four interceptions all year. The only multi-pick game he had was against Indiana, and he still threw for 455 yards and six touchdowns. I mean, he's just his quote unquote worst game was against Rutgers, where he only had 233 yards and four touchdowns. And that's right. I think that's just because he didn't play very long. Right. He he still was 20 of 23. You know, you get a couple turnovers. You might get a pass batted up in the air here or there. You get a fumble or, you know, Rondale Moore houses a punt return or something. Do we have snow or rain? I feel like some weather, my inclement weather might help. Um, it does look like it could be a little bit windy. Uh, we'll see how this possible system moves through. So, it's Weather did not help us against Eastern Michigan. That's true. That's true. But we wanted to, we wanted to actually score against Eastern Michigan. I feel like, I feel like so maybe some freak weather fumbles or 
something might help against Ohio. We really need something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the talent gap, just looking at the talent gap alone, even the fact that we're like, well, it could, like, we could, like, think of a possible way where it could happen is another just, like, testament to Brom because there is no way that most rational, like, that this Purdue roster should, like, anybody should be like, I could possibly see a way for this team to move forward. I mean, if you think about it, Purdue has one four-star player on the entire roster right now. Consensus four-star player in uh, Rondale Moore. I mean, Ohio State, like, probably has more five-star players on the bench than that. So, I mean, the talent gulf is just wide. But, uh, you know, we've got a puncher's chance for this offense. Uh, I think at least we'll get to see some cool trick plays. I think it'll be interesting if we could build a lead because it seems like Purdue has responded more this year when they've been able to build an early lead. Obviously, we've fallen behind 7 nothing the last two games. But we quickly recovered and got ahead and made, made those teams play catch-up. And I think that was also a big thing for Boston College is we made them play from behind. And, you know, it, that that's going to keep the crowd in it. That's going to keep things going uh, momentum-wise and everything else. And it's just those, those seem to be when the recipe for an upset happens, not when we're having to claw back from down 17 points in the third quarter or anything. It's getting that lead and being able to hold on to it. All right, Juan, what do you think? Uh, you think we got this? Uh, can we pull this off on Saturday? I want, I hope so. I mean, I want it to happen. I just don't think it will. I do think Purdue can cover. And, you know, I got to remember, good teams win, but great teams cover. So if they can cover, then Purdue will be a great team. How about you, uh, Drew? What do you think? I, as I was mentioning, I'm super excited to see the kickoff of the David Blau's uh, second half of the year Heisman campaign with a big win over Ohio State to really push it in the right direction. I kind of think it, it mean, would be so strange to beat Ohio State and lose to Eastern Michigan at home in the same season. But it would be one of those program-changing wins. Um, it, it's one thing to beat a Boston College that was 23rd in the nation. But when was the last time that we've just had a monumental win like this? I know, yeah, you can point at you can point to uh, the infamous Purdue Harbor in 2009. But what did we really accomplish with that? I think that was kind of just a one-off. Oh, yeah, it was a cute story. We remember it well. But that team still didn't even make a bowl game. And it's not like we used it as a springboard into a conference title two or three years later. That's the kind of win that this could be, really. Um, well, I would say that win kind of springboarded that team because that, that still was a one-in-five team going into that game that had many close losses. And then, you know, they suddenly, you know, of course, granted the teams they beat after that were – crabby but i mean it still changed course and then you know it completely derailed ohio state's chances of a national title game and then uh sent off jim trussell's revenge tour that ended up that caused hazel to come to purdue but that's a story for another time yeah that's that's a different story altogether but (laughs) but yeah it's this would be in my heart i think it's going to be a little bit like last year's michigan game where we had an early lead and we're playing him even, we're playing him even, and everything kind of turned on one play, and it was the third down sack where John O'Corn ducked out of what was a sure drive-ending sack by Jawan Bentley, and Bentley goes flying over him. O'Corn steps up, converts, and then they go down and take the lead. I think we're, we can have a game like that where we, we stay with them for a half or even three quarters, uh, but then their superior talent kind of wins out in the end. But the other thing to think about is if Purdue is able to pull this off, and it's a huge if, every other game on the schedule is winnable then. And suddenly you're like, well, can Purdue reach the Big Ten title game uh, as winners in the West? Well, if they would win out, all it would take would be one Northwestern loss to control our way there. So right now we're just really fever dreaming it so what what if we got another rematch with ohio state in indianapolis what is this world coming to if the big 10 west comes down to northwestern and purdue 
I mean, if Northwestern wins, then I'm okay with that because I, for one, welcome our new Wildcat overlords. I, I'm just so frustrated because I, I feel like if the Purdue of the last two or three games replayed Northwestern and Eastern Michigan, we'd win both games handily. And we very well could be, probably should be at least four and two right now, if not five and one. But it is what it is. And, you know, that's that's just what we're trying to do. We're trying to show some improvement here going forward. I, I think it would be really big to recover and make a bowl after the 0-3 start. And it, it would really set the stage for, I think, next year would be the big third-year leap with Brom, assuming we can keep him. Yeah, look, man, this this is just like the very beginning. I feel like this is finally closer to the Brom offense uh, than what he wants it to look like, where we've got a guy in DJ Knox that's running over 100 yards every game uh, efficiently, too, where they're not having to pound the ball uh, to get over 100 yards, but we're able to spread the field out uh, and then create a lot of running lanes with our passing game. And then with Blau just on fire, delivering, playing smart, moving, running when he needs to. And, I mean, the biggest change in Blau this year is he's not throwing interceptions. He's not throwing bad interceptions, which has always been the bugaboo with, with Blau the entire, his entire career. Uh, so... You know, I feel like this is just the Bromfence is just taking off. You see what he can do with, like I said, one four-star player in Rondale Moore. Granted, Rondale is probably a lot underrated because he's only like 5'8". I mean, we're going to get some more guys in. I mean, I think we haven't seen any of the Brom offensive linemen. Uh, we really haven't seen any of the Brom running backs play yet. These are all on offense. Other than Rondale Moore, pretty much Hazel's guys, uh, Moore and you know and Zico, uh, and the JUCO wide receivers. But every other position, he's doing this with talent that was you know at the very bottom of the Big Ten, and that's not going to be the case at Purdue for much longer in terms of uh, talent. Which is why I actually like Brom to stay. I think he's finding that he can recruit to Purdue probably better than people thought he could. And uh, and then at Purdue, man, that the West is wide open. Uh, I feel with his offense, I think he thinks we Purdue can play for Big Ten championships. I don't know if you can say the same at a place like Louisville, where it really doesn't matter how how well you recruit, you're never going to out recruit Clemson or Florida State. Um, so you're always going to be playing at a huge talent deficit. I think Purdue could have one of the more talented rosters in the West within two or three years. Oh, absolutely, because his his recruiting class that he has lined up for this year, assuming everybody that's already on board signs and he gets, say, a David Bell or a uh, – what's the big defensive end? Is it J.J. Weaver that he's going after? So, yeah, what will end up – it probably is looking more like we'll probably get somebody like Milton Wright, who's another four-star wide receiver. Uh, Bell's sort of 50-50 shot between us and Penn State. But we're going to look – we're – Favored for one of the another safety out of Detroit that's supposed to be pretty good, and then the defensive tackle Simeon Smiley's cousins coming for a visit, which would be huge. And so, yeah, this recruiting class is far uh, exceeding my expectations. You know, Carl Loftus was a great starting piece, but I was like, oh, it'll probably be him, and you know, maybe a four star, low four star guy sprinkled in there, and you know, mostly three star guys. But this class is uh, really taken off, and for the most part, other than one running back, who I feel like we probably, at least as far as ranking go, goes, improved upon, uh, we've only had one player decommit. And like I said, I think we, rankings-wise, improved upon him with the uh, King, and I have no idea how to pronounce his last name, Dotru, maybe, commitment uh, last Yeah, week. King Doru, the running Doru. back. Yeah, he looks good. Yeah. yeah, no, so I mean, like, this class is amazing, and I thought we would probably lose some of these guys that committed early, but they're all hanging on. And that's that signing period is uh, getting closer and closer. So I feel like this, you know, Brom is in good shape at Purdue. And I feel like that's the reason he, one of the reasons he took the Purdue job is he thinks he could, thinks he can win here and recruit here. Maybe not, I say easier, but there's a, there's a definite path forward for Purdue 
where they can become a dominant force in the Big Ten West. Whereas, as everybody's talking about Louisville, I don't see I don't see a path forward for Louisville to be a dominant force in the ACC, even in their division, ever, just because Clemson and Florida State recruit on a top 10 level every year, and you just can't do that at Louisville. Right, and I I also think that buyout is going to be prohibitive, too. I mean, they, you're looking at they're wanting to move now, but they can't really afford to right now. So... I, I think it would be big if we can keep Brom another two seasons beyond this one because I think that would establish a much, much higher ceiling than he walked into or even that Hope walked into 10 years ago. Yeah, and see, I think, I, I think Brom, if you were to say where would Brom go, I, I think we would have a more of a chance of losing him to an NFL team than a college team because I think we're going to pay him. I think we're going to keep his... Well, around, and I think the XFL I think is starting up again, win right? big. The <laughs> XFL. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's pretty big there, so he could. Yeah, as far as mid-tier programs go, with the way Purdue's running right now, you know, obviously, if one of the really big programs uh, came up and made him an offer, say Ohio State or you know some some program like that, that would be hard to turn down. But right now, Louisville's a lateral move. At best, if not, if not a step back. But oh, never yeah. underestimate the power of going back to your alma mater. Oh, see, see, that's, so many that's people the have issue. That, then that's it hasn't turned out very well for a lot of coaches. I mean, I mean, one for two, I guess, if you're sample rate of Harbaugh and Frost. But again, well, it's just it's it's I mean, that allure. Like, went back to UCLA and got fired. True, but I'm just saying that that allure is still there, and they could always sell it to like you could be our savior, Brom. Come back home and bring Louisville back. So just, and I, I I agree that Louisville would, if the way Brom has taken Purdue, that Louisville could be a lateral move at this point, just the way that Purdue has succeeded under Brom. But again, I just ne- don't underestimate what the they could do to lure Brom in. Well, I may have to write an article about this one. They do like to use hookers. I don't know how susceptible he is for hookers. So. <laughs> That's basketball, uh, Travis. That's basketball. I, hookers are hookers, man. They know no sports. Oh, God. On that note. <laughs> On let's, that uh, note. L- let, let's just wrap this up. Final <laughs> thoughts in general and all that. So, uh, yeah. So On that note, we have... Uh, Big game on Saturday night, and really looking forward to that one. It should be a lot of fun. We'll have some more coverage as the week goes forward, but could be program-defining. And as our final thought, we're hoping to get Tyler Trent there. Uh, He is hoping to be feeling well enough on Saturday to come up to that one, and he already has people volunteering to help carry him over the rail to rush the field after after a uh, Purdue upset victory. So... Just close your eyes for a moment and picture a jubilant Tyler Trent in his wheelchair, crowd surfing his way to the goalposts. Oh man, that would be that'd be a lot of fun. It would be one of the happiest move moments in Rossing Stadium history. So, so for Drew, for Juan, and myself, we thank you for listening to us. We thank you for reading and keep coming back this week for more good stuff from AmarinRails.com. <laughs> <laughs>